warning us about these things, as he's a theatre agent and a gregarious one. It's not unusual for a star to pull into the drive while you're eating your toast or plump down next to you at dinner. Monsieur de Stang studies me for a moment. You are Anton Bell's daughter? Yes, well, one of them. He puts a hand over his heart. Miss Bell, I deeply apologize. And he continues to apologize in the most eloquent way for several minutes while he helps me up and collects all my notebooks and papers. I try to get them off him, but it's hard to get a word in while he talks on. And then he's taking my elbow and steering me toward the car. No, please, I'm fine to walk. It's not far across the fields. But, Miss Bell, we are going the same way, I believe. His eyes are so much greener in person, and I feel like a mouse pinned by the jeweled gaze of the cobra. He's had more than twenty years' professional experience convincing people of things with those eyes, and I've only had minutes to try and discover how to refuse them. I fail and get into the car. The driver adds his own apologies to Monsieur de Stang's while I'm buckling on my seatbelt. It's an electric car, he explains, which is why I didn't hear it. I mutter something about not getting many of these in the countryside around Oxford. What were you thinking about so deeply when we nearly knocked you down? Monsieur de Stang's accent is unusual. A slight North American inflection with a clipped Frenchiness about the vowels. It's a very nice voice, and surprisingly gentle for such a tall, sultry man. I think about all the actresses and singers he's been romantically linked with over the years. He probably knows it's very nice. Communists, I say. He looks amused. Oh? I mean... It's just something I'm working on, I say quickly. East Germany. Cold War. Why can't you say, it's a book I'm writing for a client? Is that so hard? Ah, so you're a writer. That explains the daydreaming. He glances out the window and I glare at the back of his head. I'll put up with being pigeonholed as awkward and boring by my sisters, but it's irritating from strangers. But it seems he was just checking where we were, as he turns back to me. What are you doing out here in the middle of nowhere? What, walking? No, I mean here in the countryside. Why aren't you in London or Paris? Somewhere with a little more excitement. University, I say, waving my hand in the general direction of Oxford. I'm working on a PhD in Victorian literature, but he probably thinks I'm a gormless undergrad. I'm dressed like a gormless undergrad, in scuffed shoes and denim shorts. Doing some help? Do they not allow you any holidays in England these days? I'm about to reply when we turn into the driveway of my parents' house. It's something of a spread. All white columns and twining ivy and grey stone. 
There's a fountain in the center of a circular gravel driveway. Lisbeth, just fourteen, is lying in the grass reading a book. My elder sister, Mona, appears at the sitting room window, and I see her peer at the car and then turn and call over her shoulder, probably to our other sister, Therese. I realize that if I stay where I am, I'm going to get mobbed by the whole family. Why are you in the car with Monsieur de Stang? What happened to you? You fell? Oh, Evie, how funny you are! Everyone, come and look! Well, thanks for the lift, I cry, grabbing my shoulder bag and jumping out of the car. Lisbeth looks up from her book as I scurry past. Who's that? But I just push into the house and run upstairs. It's not till I'm standing in my bedroom with my back against the door that I remember I've left all my books and notes in...